This morning we're continuing as we started last week with uh, Pastor Todd, started the book of Colossians, kind of gave us an overview, a uh, helicopter view. He kind of zoomed in a few times for us so we could see what's coming and uh, kind of give us an identification of where we're going to head in the book. And so this morning I'm going to be preaching from the first chapter, verses 3 through 14. So would we take the moment here and read that together? We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you this morning as we take a look at this marvelous prayer for the, the church in Colossians, it's a, it's a prayer that we could pray for every church that exists, every local assembly that meets around you, the body of Christ. We can pray the same thing. Thank you for it. May uh, the word of God be used today to change the hearts of your people. Uh, use your speaker this morning. Let the Holy Spirit guide us as we take a look at this marvelous prayer of Paul. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to take a look at three different things here. We'll take a look at a prayer of thanksgiving. Uh, That's verses 3 through 8. Then we're going to kind of set down on uh, second point would be a petition. We see that in verse 9. And then um, the rest of the passage, uh, 10 through 14, are the results of living a God-pleasing life. So we'll take a look at that. So first of all, we'll go through the prayer of Thanksgiving. I, I've got about seven things that I see there. Um, I want to warn you that what I've discovered um, in preaching now is that if I have 11 pages of notes, it takes about 50 minutes for me to get through it. And then I've realized that if I've got about six pages of notes, it takes me 50 minutes to get through it. So the amount of notes doesn't seem to affect how long I go necessarily, but I am going to try and tell you what I think God is trying to tell us through this passage and through this prayer. So bear with me and uh, hang on. Buckle your seatbelt. Here we go. Prayer of Thanksgiving. Um, there's three things here I'm going to touch on. I saw about seven, but I'm only going to deal with three of them so that we can expedite and move it along. Um, three things 
that I think are in this passage or that I see in the passage. One of them is that uh, Paul is saying, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. It does not mean that he's always going around praying for the church Colossae. But it does mean is that when he does pray, he gives thanks to God for them. When he thinks of them and is praying, he always mentions them and gives thanks for that, what they're doing. Now, what are they doing? The, the fact that Epaphras came to him, we're going to see that a little bit later about Epaphras, but he came to Paul, he traveled a long ways to see Paul and to describe what was going on in the church of Colossae, what they had believed in and the, their faith and their love and their, uh, and, and, and their hope that they had. And that's what we're going to lay down on here. We're going to set down on the, the faith, the love, and the hope uh, in the passage. And he says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, we have not stopped giving thanks. And so he says, um, here's, here's what I see here. In the faith aspect of it, the faith is the soul, your soul looking upward toward God. So when you have faith, you're believing in something that's upward. It's, I believe in what God has already accomplished, what he's already done. It has a kind of a past tense reference to it. And for since I heard of the faith that you had in what? In the fact that Christ died for you. Well, that had already taken place. Not he's going to die, but it's already done. So he says, in the faith that you have in believing that Jesus Christ has died for you. That's what he's saying there. And so in that, I want to just take a moment and say, if you're here with us this morning, and that's kind of news to you, that you have to have faith to become a believer. You have to believe in something. I mean, the very term believe means you have faith in something and so this morning if you've been with us multiple times and you've heard us i think if you've been around for more than a couple months you've heard a gospel presentation a good news presentation something that we would ask you to place faith in so that you can become a christian you can become a believer and so he's saying you've already established it's already been established in my mind that you've done this it's something you've already done you believed you have faith in something that happened beforehand you believe that Christ died. So in that, now, what is the result of that? The next thing he says is a proof that you are actually a believer is not just that you say you have faith. That's a great thing. You have faith. That's something that happened in the past. It's a past tense. But then he says later on, he says, and the love which you have for all the saints. Huh. How many of you remember when you first were saved how many of you remember first of all when you were saved okay I hope you can remember that the next question is how many of you remember that suddenly it seemed like once you believed in Christ and he became inside of you he indwells you now how many of you remember that suddenly you loved people that you never loved before there was just a sudden man, that guy, I used to think that guy was so ugly. Now I love him. What is that about? Yeah, all of a sudden that outward appearance even of people doesn't matter anymore. It's, they're in Christ with you and you can see it. You see Christ in them and you go, I love this guy. I love him. There's people, there's people on the elder council I wouldn't even hang out with if it wasn't for the Christ in me. But because of Christ in me, they're closer than my own brothers. They're closer than my own brothers. And I have a love for them that I can't even describe. It's crazy. It's crazy. But that's what happens when you meet Christ. 
All of a sudden, you understand his love for you, and you want to share that same kind of love with others. It's an agape-type love, by the way. It's an agape. It says, what can I do for you kind of love? I remember there were some people in the first service, and I've met with one of them and talked, and they said that, um, and, and by the way, this is a, when we talk about love, it's an, onward, it's an ongoing thing. It's happening right now. It's not a past thing. It's you're supposed to love right now. Okay, but I remember I was talking to this one young lady uh, years ago, and she said, before I became a Christian, I hated my dad. I hated him. And, and she, she said to me, she says, but when I met Jesus Christ, the next time I saw my dad, I could look him in the face and tell him because of what Christ has done for me, I have to tell you, dad, that I love you. You could not have talked her into telling her dad that she loved him before that. But now, because of what Christ had done in her and that new relationship that she had with him, there was a change in her. And one of the changes is that you'll love one another. And what's interesting is he said that I've heard through Epaphras, I heard about your love that you have for all the saints. Not just the ones in your little clique. All of them. I want to remind you, Valley Bible Church, this is a great prayer for the church. It's a great prayer for other churches as we pray. I want to remind you that we've got churches across the water here, across the bridge. We've got churches up in Napa. I've got churches all over this map, all over the globe, that we could say we're supposed to be loving those people. We're supposed to love those saints. Not think, well, we want to get people, we want to get bigger than their church. Are you kidding me? I want their church to be as big as God wants it to be. We are in a struggle here. We're in a war. We're in a fight for the lives of those around us. Didn't he tell us we're supposed to snatch them from the fire? You're supposed to love these people. And if it's a like church that preaches Christ, I want to love them. I don't want to be their enemy. I want to be on their side. Amen? And so that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be loving one another. And, he, and he's given them, basically this, this part of it is a bunch of kudos. This is what I've heard from Epaphras that you are. And you've got to know this excited Paul. Paul's out here, started churches up, leaves the churches that he started, some of them, leaves them in good condition, and he warns them, when I leave, wolves will come in and try and get, they'll try and preach another doctrine. And so he now is hearing about a church that's not doing that. They're staying on track. It had to excite him. It had to get if his heart, it had to warm his heart, I would say. And so, but it's an ongoing thing. It's working in the present. You're supposed to be loving right now. You do not have permission to stop loving. You don't. You do not have permission to stop loving God's people. Matter of fact, he says, if you, in 1 John, he says, if you say you love me, but don't love my children, my people, then you're a liar and I'm not in you. Thereby the excitement of Paul's, the level of Paul's excitement because Epaphras is saying, no, they're loving one another. They're taking care of each other. They're, they're giving to one another. They're doing a lot of things. They're bearing fruit. They're bearing fruit. The third thing he says, and this is a triune thing, you, you kind of, uh, Paul does this in other letters too. He talks about faith, love, and hope. And so the final one there in verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, because of the hope 
laid up for you in heaven. Think about it. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You've got a hope in heaven. If you had hope just here, this is passing away here. This is all passing away. No, no. I have a hope stored up for me in heavenly realms. I'm the only one who believes that. There's a hope for you in heaven. And it will not pass away. It's a glorious hope. It's a blessed hope. And where did you get the hope from? Of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, the good news. The good news that there's a stock tip? No. The good news that the 49ers are going to lose today? I mean, win today maybe? Who knows? Who knows? I can't even give you a tip on it. I don't know. Just those kind of, no, no, this is not that kind of good news. This is the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. And because of the truth of that, and because you have that, because you placed your faith in it, now you have hope. You have hope. So faith and love actually spring from that hope. They actually come out of that hope. Hey, I put my trust in something, and immediately I had hope. I would never have put faith in Jesus Christ if I didn't think there was a hope at the end of it. And I don't think you would have either. There's a hope. I went from being eternally damned to being eternally forgiven. That was my hope. By placing faith in Jesus Christ, I no longer have to face hell and damnation for eternity. I now get to spend my time with the Savior in heaven forever and ever. I guess that's pretty good for a semi-Baptist group. Hope looks to the future. So listen, you have a past. I place my faith in something that God has already done for me. I have a love that's ongoing. It's presently happening. I'm loving and I'm, you know what's wonderful? I'm being loved also. If you're obeying scripture and loving, I'm being loved. Now I'm not commanded to be loved, but I am commanded to love. And so are you. Can you see how that works? If you're obeying and I'm obeying, we're loving. So now we're getting along. Now I have some hope that you're loving on me even. But I have hope that's set up for eternity. For eternity. And you can't take it away from me. You cannot take it away from me. I can't even lose that hope. I really can't. I might think I've lost it because I'm in a depression or whatever. But I've never lost the hope. I don't lose hope. Hope anticipates the future and its promises. He said that when we get there, when we get to heaven, when the rapture takes place, and I'm hoping I'll be above ground when it happens. I would love to be snatched up. I would. I would love. I would, I've said it before. I'd love to be preaching or be in a prayer meeting and just be in his presence suddenly. You got to admit that would be exciting. Even those of you who are half asleep, that would be exciting. All right. So when you think of that, I'm like, man, He's coming. He's coming. I'm looking for it. I'm waiting for it. I'm anticipating. It's the hope. It's the hope I have. And someday, someday I'm going to get to look at him face to face. I'm going to get to look at the scars in his hands and in his feet and his side. That's the hope. 
and I get to spend eternity for the one who died for me. Oh, you want to be loved? That's love. I'll come out of heaven. I'll come down. I'll take on flesh. I'll leave heaven to take on flesh. And I will die on a cross. I'll live a life that is pure and holy without sin. Because it's the only sacrifice on a cross that God will accept is one that's holy and pure. And only Christ could do that. And so he dies on a cross. He's buried. And then they, he is resurrected after three days. And he walks on the face of the earth so people could see him. And then he ascends in front of, I believe it was 500 people. Try having 500 witnesses in any court and you're probably going to win if you have them on your side. And he ascended and it wasn't like, he went like that. He ascended in a fashion that they could watch him go. I always think of it like a helium balloon that gets let go. You can just keep watching it until he finally disappears. And by placing faith in that, I get this hope. I get this hope. That's what Paul's thanking God for. Because Paul's been praying for those people in Colossae before Epaphras ever came to him. He had been praying for them. Oh, God, would you convert some of them? Would you let them see who you really are? Would you let them see Jesus Christ for who he is? Because if they see him, they'll accept him. And if they accept him, they'll love one another. And if they love one another and they have faith, now they'll have a hope. It's a pretty miserable thing to go through life without hope. It's a pretty miserable thing to go through life without hope. Hope gives us confidence of, God, of what God will do in the future. This confidence leads to a greater trust in God, which increases your faith and a deeper love for others. That hope, the closer I get to him, the more hope I get. The more hope I get, the more love I get. The more love I get, the more faith I get. It's just a cycle, isn't it? It's a circle. Verse 6, he says this, now, those are the three things I wanted to cover, so I'm just going to walk through these really quickly. Verse 6 says, this faith has come to you, which has come to you. It's actually come into you. It's actually in you, this hope. This hope of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, he's in you today. Just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. In truth. So the gospel was spreading all over the world. Gospel produces fruit. And the gospel was founded in grace. Verses 7 and 8 talks about Epaphras a little bit. About him being a fellow bondservant. Um, wouldn't you like to have been considered a fellow bondservant of Paul? Wouldn't you like to have had that? Have your name written down in Colossians as the guy that started a ministry there? Paul never visited the Colossae area. He never visited there. But he sent Epaphras, and Epaphras worked on his behalf there. But a fellow bondservant. I would say, wouldn't you like to be known as a bondservant of Paul? And I want to tell you, you can be now, today. You can be known as a bondservant. You can be known as a servant of Jesus Christ. And you could be working on behalf of others. There's a lost world out there that we need to be working on behalf of. 
And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. Love in the Spirit. You notice that if you look at your Bible, you'll notice that that Spirit has got a capital S in it. You don't usually put capital S's on a word like Spirit at the end of a sentence unless it represents God. So it means the Holy Spirit. You're living according to the Holy Spirit. And that was encouraging once again to Paul. And he was excited by it, so much so that he wrote uh, seven ver six verses on it about how he was thankful for them. And that gets me to verse number nine, which is his petition. Now Paul has grasped that. He's thankful for that. Now he says, but Epaphras, when he came, it wasn't all good news that he brought. We're going to see that as we get deeper into the book. But I'm kind of looking forward in order to encapsulate what this is doing. He says, uh, you know, everything's going good. We're not in sin or anything. We're not, we're not teaching false doctrines yet. But there is a faction of people on the outside that are starting to infiltrate. Gnosticism, different things like that. And it's coming. So Paul's aware of that. He's aware. Epaphras has shared that with him. We've got a lot of Judaizers and different ones that are, and you know what the problem was? The problem is they're saying it's not just Christ. They're saying it's Christ plus knowledge. Christ plus uh, the buffeting of your body, let's say. Christ plus the law. I'm going to tell you, if it's not Christ and Christ alone, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Because Scripture clearly states that it's belief of what Jesus Christ did and nothing else. Nothing else, people. It's Him and Him alone. It's the work that God did. You can only believe it. You can only place faith in it. And when you do, it will change you. But until then, you can't do anything. And even after then, you can't do anything. He did everything necessary for you to have eternal life. It's not Christ plus keeping law. It's not Christ plus do what the pastor says. It's not Christ plus... No, no, no. If it's not in Scripture, please stop doing it. It's not Christ and sending an offering to somebody on TV. It's not. That's not how it works. It's him and him alone. So he goes on, he says this, for this reason, because of what we've been told by Epaphras, also, he says, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask. Now, he got specific. He's getting specific. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. For this reason. What reason? From what he's heard from Epaphras so far. He's heard that they love one another, that they have hope, that they have faith that they placed in Christ. He sees all that. They're telling others about it. He's been told that. Now he's being told, though, that there's a problem. There's a problem on the horizon. So Paul sits down and he writes four chapters in this letter to address all of that. He's going to remind them in the first two of where they're at doctrinally, what they believed in. So right now he's saying, right now, I'm going to pray for you. I've been praying for you ever since I've gotten with that Epaphras and heard what's happening. I've been praying that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And he says, we have not ceased. We have not ceased to pray for you since we heard about this. Because we know the enemy that's coming. 
We understand what's going to happen. You've already placed faith in what you need to place it in. You're already doing well. Keep doing that. But the way to keep doing that to increase those areas is right here. That you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Super important. So these, these words are key as words in every sentence are key. These are huge as we take a look at some of them real quick. First of all, this praying for you, we haven't ceased to pray for you. Once again, it doesn't mean I'm going around mumbling a prayer all the time. It's not what it means. But when I do pray, I remember you. When I do pray, I remember to pray for my government. When I do pray, I remember to pray for other fellow churches. When I do pray, I remember to pray for the people of Valley Bible Church that they would get this kind of wisdom in them. You want to shut down a counseling ministry? Get this wisdom in you. You get this wisdom in you and this knowledge in you. You don't need counseling. You got all the counsel you need in the scriptures. I know some of you have been to training here lately for counseling. I'm not going to discourage you from doing that because not everybody's going to do this. So we will need counselors. And we're supposed to do that anyway. But I will say this. This praying without ceasing. I want to just touch a couple things. First, it is an attitude you have to have the attitude of being conscious of God when you pray. Be very conscious of who you're praying to. Be very conscious. Uh, you should start off by just telling him who he is, by adoring him a little bit. And then confess so you get things straightened out. And then do a little thanksgiving because he requires thanksgiving, I believe. And then you can ask him for the things you need to ask him for, the supplications. So I would do that even when I'm praying for the church. Just start off there. And then secondly, you have to be people conscious. If I'm going to intercede for you, I have to be conscious of you and be aware that you're around and what's going on. So praying without ceasing, that's what happens sometimes. Um, I have somebody in my family right now who's suffering physically. Uh, huge, horrible, horrific suffering in their body. And um, ever since I found that out, I can't get them out of my head. So you know what? When I can't get you out of my head, I just pray for you. I just keep praying for you. God can do something the doctors can't do. I believe that today, or I wouldn't even pray. Why well, pray if you don't believe God can do it? I'm not going to be tossed around in the wind on the seas. Uh-uh, no, no. God can do it. I believe that. Now, is it according to his will? We'll find out. I don't always know everything about his will, so I'm just going to pray and let him figure out if it's his will or not. I'm going to do my part, let him do his. What was Paul praying? Paul's primary petition in this passage was that believers in Colossae would be filled with the knowledge of his will and that they would have spiritual wisdom and understanding. Is that something you could pray for today? Yeah, that's why it's in the canonization of scriptures because it can be prayed today. And it can be prayed all across the globe for churches all around. So let's pick out some key words. I said I was going to do that. There's the word filling. He says that you are to be asked, he asks specifically that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. To be filled with the knowledge of his will. Filling to completeness. You know, when you fill something up, you, don't, you can't stop halfway and call it filled up. You got to get it where it overflows and you can say, now I'm sure it's full. When it starts flowing over the top, I know it's filled up. 
I want to have the knowledge of who he is and his will that's flowing over. I want to be filled up to completeness. That's what he's praying for. That's the actual word and what it means. Then he says knowledge here. That knowledge he's using says, I want a full, deep understanding of who he he is and what his will is. You're going to take a lifetime to do that, and you're still not going to know everything about him. Just get used to that. But boy, you better plug in and start figuring out what his will is. Knowledge of God's will does not come from a fleshly mind. That's just knowledge. That'll just puff you up. That doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't. You can be full of knowledge and be miserable. Totally miserable. You don't want that kind of knowledge. You want a knowledge that comes from him, that comes from the Holy Spirit, which enlightens the believer's inner person from the word of God. That's what I want. That's the knowledge I want. That's the knowledge he's asking that you would get here. That you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He doesn't say in some spiritual wisdom. He says in all spiritual wisdom. So God's will revealed in the Bible. It's revealed in the Bible. God's will is revealed in the Bible. It's made manifest to the believer by the Holy Spirit's teaching ministry. Now then, is the Holy Spirit going to teach you it if you don't read it? I think you have to read the book. I think you've got you to at least acknowledge that he's saying something to you. And then let the Holy Spirit do its job in telling you what he is trying to say to you. What are you learning from? The will of God, the Holy Spirit's going to reveal what the will of God is in my life today. Now, you know what? Here's what I love about the Bible. I could read Romans this week, and it'll say this something to me. This kind of wisdom will come out. I can read it a year from now, and it might have something completely different that God wants to tell me in there. That tells me I should always be reading it. So he can keep talking to me through it. I can keep learning about him. And then there's the spiritual wisdom that he talks about here, which is, I would say, is just a practical know-how. It's just a practical. What does the Bible tell me about my practical everyday life and how I'm supposed to live it? That's the will of God that I know how to do that. Amen? All right. And then understanding. True knowledge of Christ reveals itself in a transformed character into Christ-likeness. So there's the petition. It's a clear analysis and decision-making in applying the knowledge to various problems. By contrast, the false teachers, which is what they were going to be facing, they were going to threaten the doctrinal position that Epaphras had taught, offered only an appearance of wisdom. It wasn't wisdom. And it captivates the minds. If you're not careful, you get captivated. Your mind will be captivated, and your lives will be regulated by legalism or legalistic stuff. And what happens in the church if we're not careful? If you don't let the word speak and let it be the doctrinal proof of things, you'll suddenly start doing what men tell you. And when you start doing what men tell you, they start controlling you. And you don't want to be controlled by men. You want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so you better dig in. You gotta, I say it every time I preach, it seems like. Get in the Word. And then what happens? We see it here in verse 10. It says, so that you will walk 
So the result of living a God-pleasing life, the result of if this prayer is answered and people will do what he's asking them to do in that prayer, the petition, if you do that, you will walk worthy. It says, so that, so that. That means I prayed this about you, that you would be able to know the knowledge of his will and all spiritual things and understanding. I prayed that for you so that you will walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. What does it mean to be worthy of the Lord? What does that mean? I'm never worthy of the Lord, am I? Well, the word actually means, if I can look at it, living a life that meets God's standard. When I'm living a life that's worthy of the Lord, that means I'm living according to what he said I'm supposed to live. So I'm walking in a manner worthy of his calling in my life. To be holy as he is holy. He, he commanded that. In, in Peter, he said, in 1 Peter 1.15, you be holy as I am holy. You go, man, Lord, how can I ever be as holy as you? Well, I don't know, but you can certainly try. It's through the Holy Spirit that you're able to do that. It's his presence in your life. So, and then what takes place? When you walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. So if I'm walking in a, a, the standard he set, what does it do for the Lord? It pleases him. He says, I'm very pleased with your life right now. He reminds me of when he said he was pleased with the sacrifice of his son. The son was doing exactly what the father had willed for him to do, and the father says, I'm pleased with that. I accept it. But he was pleased. You want to walk in a way that you can please the Lord in all respects. Not some, all. How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, you dig in. You get to know what his will is. You study. You look and say all spiritual meanings, everything spiritual, all my understanding has to go through him. Has to go through the word and it has to be about him. Pleasing God in everything we do is continuous. It's constant. So, listen to this. Pleasing people Pleasing people is incompatible incompatible with being a servant of Christ. If you're working in children's ministry because you're trying to make Andrea happy, just stop. If you want to be in worship ministry because you want people to hear your pretty voice, stop. That's trying to please yourself and others. Knock it off. It's against what the Bible says. Galatians 1.10 became a verse that changed my life. I do not do the things that I do for the favor of men. I do what I do for the favor of God. For if I was doing it for the favor of men, I would not be a follower of Jesus Christ. Following after Him and pleasing Him is incompatible with what you want to do with people. Stop doing what you're doing because you're trying to please someone else. You want to please him. You want to please him? Start walking in a manner that's worthy. 
And then what happens when you do that? Here's an, here's an evidence that you are doing that. This shows you're doing that. You start bearing fruit. You start bearing fruit. It says bear fruit in some good works. Anybody looking at this with me? What's it say? Does it say some good works? No, it says in every good work. You, you bear fruit. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. But bearing fruit, you know what? I looked up that in a concordance. Bearing fruit is constantly, doing it constantly. And I looked it up, and there's a ton of different ones. I think there was 19 or 20 different passages I saw about fruit. But here's what happens when you're living according to the fruit of the Spirit. You're, you're bearing fruit in every good work. Here's what happens. Your character changes. Your character will change. You, you, are, you, you are what you are. Your character is what you are. Okay? So when you look at it, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, here's what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. You should be known as someone that loves you should be someone that's known as having joy and that someone's at peace, someone that's patient, someone that has kindness, someone that has goodness about them, someone that has faithfulness. You're a faithful person. Maybe even you're gentle and self-controlled. That's the character you should have. That's what you are. In Christ, if you're being controlled by the Spirit, that's the kind of thing you should be living like. That's one of them. Another one is how you conduct yourself, what you do. Romans 6.22 says this, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it, and it ends, and its end is eternal life. What you do matters. You want the fruit that leads to sanctification. You want the fruit that brings growth in your life, develops you. That's what you want. The third one is in your conversations. What you say matters. Oh yeah, now, now it's getting real, huh? Hebrews 13, 15 says this. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That's what we did this morning when we were singing. If you weren't offering a sacrifice of praise and worship when you were, because worship and praise are interactive, they, they go together. If you weren't doing that when we were singing, if you were just kind of mouthing the words and you weren't really worshiping him, then I invite you to come back next week and try and get it right. Look what he says. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Once again, we have fruit involved. The fruit of your lips says, I acknowledge you in the songs we're singing. I'm not just singing a ditty. I'm singing about the God of the universe. And I'm acknowledging it when I do that. But it's more than that. How are you talking when you're not at church? What do you sound like on the job? Would your words be considered the fruits of your lips? And are you acknowledging his name? Hmm. Well, this is one that I like as a pastor, and I like it as a Christian. 
What about in your contributions? Are you following after the Spirit in your contributions? Are you doing the fruits of the Spirit in your contributions? Well, now I got really quiet in here. What you give matters. Why you give it and how you give it, but what you give matters. Matters to God. He said that it's part of the fruit. Listen to what he says in Philippians 4, 16 and 17. He says this, Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So you did it more than once. You did it once and then you did it again. You sent me help for my needs. But watch this. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. When you give unto God's people, God's servants, and to God, you're basically giving to God. When you do that, it's then credited to your account. That fruit of what you did is now credited to your account. Where do you think you're going to get to see that account ledger? You know where I think it is? I'm going to be at the Bema seat. And you'll probably be ahead of me, so I'll get to watch you first. But if you gave with the right motivations, and you did that because you loved the Lord, and you gave it back to Him, not to people, don't be like the Pharisees that gave a bunch of money in front of God bunch of hypocrites you give that money and I believe at the Bema seat he's going to say hey I see on your ledger that you were faithful to me in your giving and I believe there's a crown for that and I believe you'll receive it now you won't hold on to it so don't get too used to it. you just get to look at it for a second because you're going to throw it back at his feet but you will get rewarded for that I believe you will I think it's pretty, pretty uh, clear there in that passage, actually. And then the final one about the fruit of the Spirit is converts. The fruit has conversion to it. it, it who you win, it matters. Proverbs 11.30, listen to this one. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. No evangelism in Proverbs, huh? Oh, yeah. Those who capture souls are wise. Romans 1.13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I might bear some fruit among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Thank God for Paul. If you're not Jewish in the room, he came after you. He's the one that brought the, the good news of Christ to the Gentiles. You come to a deeper knowledge of understanding of God, increasing your faith. One of the best ways I can think to progress or grow is to serve. It's one of the best ways. You'll get so far in your Christian life, and if you don't serve, you'll stay right there. You will. You've got to let God conquer you in your uh, stewardship of your service to the church, the local church. And uh, we have a wall full of opportunities out there. On that wall on the left as you walk out, you need to grab something. If you're not serving the Lord, there's multiple opportunities for you to do so. And um, I'm running out of time here. Spiritual strength is another factor. Um, He's got three different strengths there. You're strengthened with all power and his glorious might. It's up to his strength, not yours. Remember that. 
It's not up to your ability to have strength. It's his strength that you rely on. And when you have that and use that strength, you get steadfastness, patience, and joy. And it leads you to the final giving thanks for the inheritance through the gospel. I love it. Paul begins with thanks and he ends with thanks, thanking God for the gospel. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You have, if you've placed faith in Christ, you've been qualified to inherit. You've got an inheritance coming. And it's found in the light. For he rescued us. He rescued us from the power of darkness, the domain of darkness, the power of darkness. And he transferred my address to the kingdom of his beloved son. He transferred your address. He sent in the notice that you're going to have to forward my mail somewhere else when I leave this life. It's the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. We have been redeemed and for the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the truth of your word. All that we would be challenged by the passage itself. Do just be challenged. Challenge the hearts of your people that they might be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then we'll have people around here that will start to understand how this actually works. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for Epaphras. Thank you that um, we have such a great letter in front of us, such a great prayer and a petitioning. I petition you on behalf of Valley Bible Church. I would say the same prayer, Lord. We have a hope laid up in heaven. We, we have faith. We have love for one another. We got a hope up in heaven. And we need to know your will even better. Give us, fill us up with the knowledge of who you are and your will so that we could then love one another properly and walk in a worthy manner according to you, pleasing you in everything that we do, pleasing you in all that we do. And let us not forget to be steadfast, exercising patience with joy and giving thanks to the Father for the great inheritance that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.